0: Good morning, everyone. It is certainly a pleasure to see you all. Thanks for coming and worshiping and fellowshipping and serving one another. It is a great pleasure to gather. I find it very rewarding to spend time in the presence of the Lord together and with each other. Uh, We'll be in Genesis 47, starting in verse 13, if you want to turn there. And let's pray. Father in heaven, we are full of gratitude and thanksgiving that we can come before you in prayer, that we can gather as part of your body, the church, and that you have much to say to us. Thank you that through your spirit we can receive it and walk in it, that you empower us to stand and to do the things you've called us to do. And I pray that we would be attentive to your words today, that you would transform us, you would change us, you'd reveal yourself to us, and that through our lives you would be lifted up and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. It was in the late 80s that you two came out with the song, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. You guys familiar with that tune? It, the, the lyrics talk about someone scaling the highest mountains, climbing city walls having these sensual experiences, looking everywhere for something that he hasn't found yet. Like, I'm looking, but it really shouldn't be a surprise that you don't find what you're looking for if you don't know what you're looking for. And in that song, it's like, he doesn't really know what he's looking for, and so I'm not surprised he hasn't found it. Um, And people go through life seeking meaning and seeking purpose. As followers of Jesus, we realize that Our purpose springs from being found by him. It's not in the things we find, it's that he's found us. And in finding us, in being found, we now have guidance. We have purpose. We have um, everything in our savior, the abundant life he promises. And when we look back through our lives, we can see that we, for many years perhaps, pursued the wrong things. Pursuing what could not satisfy and we, we discovered that because when we achieved or gained what we hoped to, we found ourselves still empty and disillusioned. Think of Solomon. He took the pursuit of money and riches, houses, sex, music, fun to the extreme. And in the end, he found it empty and grasping for the wind. It was meaningless. And so it's being found by Jesus. That's where we find our purpose. And we rely upon him for life. When you're looking for something, usually you know what it is. Like is. I'm like, where are my keys? Where are my glasses? And I know, where, I'm, I know kind of where they should be. And so I just keep revisiting the same area until I find them. Or someone maybe can help me find them. Uh, you search for something online. It, it, like if you need a fridge, if you need a dryer, you, you can look and search for those things. Um, and God in his word, he tells us not only what to look for, but how to find it. He says, we will find him if we seek him with our whole hearts. And Solomon spoke about finding grace in the eyes of the Lord in Proverbs 3, 3 and 4. It says, let not mercy and truth forsake you, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. He says, you can find favor in the eyes of God and man. Like, that's possible. And the way is by let not mercy and truth forsake you. That his love, his loyal love, his truth, we are to bind upon our lives. We are to live out. And in doing so, we find favor in his sight. It's awesome that we can find favor. We may not always be looking for the favor of God. We think, well, I already have his grace. Is it something that I should be seeking to find favor in his sight? Well, today we'll learn that yes. We should. We have received his grace, but we should also seek to find favor in his sight. Now, Joseph, by God's grace, he ascended a second in the kingdom. He was sold as a slave. He interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, and he said, man, where else could we find a man filled with the Holy Spirit? And uh, he made him second in command. And through him, God saved the nation of Egypt and other nations from starvation. Jacob and his family, they moved from Canaan, and Pharaoh commanded they dwell in Goshen. And for the remainder of the famine, that's where they stayed, and they flourished. And in that foreign land, God promised, I'm going to make of my people a great nation. And he knows his people. He keeps his promises. And we pick up in verse 13 of Genesis 47. Now, there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. These people in, in Egypt and Canaan, they experienced something we likely never have. They ran out of food, completely ran out. Like while we had the pandemic and there was shortages of particular foods, you could still buy food. There was still food on that was available. And it's unlikely that any of us this week have finished all the food in our fridges. We've emptied all of our freezers. We've finished all the food in the pantry. Then we went to the shops to buy food and they were closed with none on offer. But that's what happened here. They had eaten up all the food, all their crops. They had nothing. And so they went to Joseph and said, man, we need food. And he sold it to them. It said the land languished. That meant it was exhausted. It was totally empty of all the food. Their cupboards were bare, but Joseph still had food for them, and Pharaoh was enriched by the money poured into his treasury. Now, centuries later, the children of Israel, when they departed from Egypt, God taught them in the wilderness over 40 years that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So at God's command, the water flowed from the rock. At his word, manna was provided daily that they would gather up from the ground. The innumerable quail blew in on the breeze like God said it, and he provided for his people miraculously. And God gave his people his laws. He sent prophets. In time, they grew weary of them and their self-confidence and self-righteousness. And the life of King Saul is a cautionary tale. Because he began his reign in humility, but it was not long before he was lifted up with pride. He refused to hear and obey God's commands. And so when he sought the Lord towards the end of his life, he received no answer. It's like he didn't want to listen to God. And so when he finally called on God, God was silent for a season. And his plight was later paralleled by the Northern kingdom because of their idolatry and God's silence was just judgment upon them. If you turn in your Bibles to Amos chapter eight, starting at verse 11, we read of a kind of famine they experienced. A different kind of famine than what Joseph experienced in Egypt. Amos chapter eight, starting in verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water for water, but of hearing The words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. Now, these are people of God who he graciously gave his laws. They were his chosen people. He revealed himself to them. They heard Amos the prophet speak the word of the Lord. But because they rejected it, God would send a famine of hearing the word of the Lord, a thing far more catastrophic and horrific than a famine of grain or bread. They prayed and they heard nothing. They inquired of the Lord, but there was no answer. Nothing they could do could conjure up solutions for their problems or provide guidance, wisdom or comfort. And if God's people could be so stricken to not hear the word of the, of the Lord that was written in their language, that was proclaimed by the prophets, we can, too, imagine reading God's word, understanding the English, but not hearing a word from God. How about sitting through a sermon and hearing nothing from the Lord? Some of us don't need to imagine because we have lived that, or we're living it right now. We've been there. We've not walked according to the truth we know, and so God is in a famine of hearing his word. We hear the words, but we don't hear from him. Now, thankfully, God who gives us the bread of life, Jesus Christ, and the living water of the Holy Spirit, he gave his people a solution to their spiritual famine back a few chapters before in Amos chapter 5. He said, "Seek me and you shall live." There was the there was the solution. Seek the Lord and you'll live because in Him you have everything you need. How do we seek the Lord? Well, by humbling ourselves, by saying, I am hungry, I am thirsty, I'm not hearing from you. It's not that God's not speaking, it's not that we don't have His scripture, but we're not hearing Him. And if that's you, well, come to the Lord and empty by faith, come to Him, repent of our sin of going our own way, and expect him to speak, to meet our needs according to his word, that we're determined to obey. Like, Lord, when you say something, I'm gonna obey it, because you'll help me, and we can praise him. Genesis 47:15. so when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Then Joseph said, give your livestock and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle of the herd for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. After the fields failed to produce year after year, the stores of grain and bread failed. Then the money failed. They ran out of money. And they had exhausted all their food and they said, hey, we need food. Please give us grain, give us bread. But Joseph agreed to a trade. He said, I'll give you food if you'll give me your animals. And far from profiteering from their plight, this was really an act of mercy because the animals needed grain to live as well. It was for the future of the animals, for the future of the people, for the future of their agriculture, once it was good, uh, good for sowing again. Because of the famine, the animals had nothing to eat. They were starving. And he had enough grain to sustain the flocks and herds and donkeys. And it's true that the people could have eaten their animals, but once their animals were eaten, what would they survive on? How would they be able to plant and work the fields and till them? How could they source wool for clothing? What, what would they do if they ate all their flocks? Like they would be lacking for the future. So he, they were concerned about bread now. But Joseph's like, well, I'll give you bread now. I'll also support these animals for your future, for the future of the nation. So he had kind of an overarching view, the big picture view, where they're like, we need food today. He's like, well, you give me your animals, I'll give you the food. They came looking for a handout. He gave them a trade. They still had a choice. They could hold, if they didn't like that deal, they could hold on to their animals. They could eat their animals. They could end up starving. But to trade for food was the best option. And there's this principle that we see established throughout scripture, the exchange of work for food. God gave Adam the task of tending and keeping the garden and says you can eat freely from all the trees of the garden except the one in the middle. Uh, Under the law of Moses, it was illegal to muzzle the ox that was treading out the grain. It's treading out the grain. Well, you're supposed to allow that ox to eat while it's working. Uh, God provided his people for manna, but it didn't just fly into their, their pots or their baskets. They had to physically go out and gather it up from the ground to eat. Paul and others, they set a good example of working with their hands to provide for their own needs not hoping for a handout. And Paul did take aim at those who were unwilling to work. In 2 Thessalonians 3, he says, it wasn't that they couldn't work, it's that they were undisciplined. In 2 Thessalonians three ten, it says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So you need to eat? Well, you need to work. And not every work that we do is going to be a nine to five job and not everyone's going to do the same work, but we're all called in the body of Christ to do good works Paul gave qualifications for widows who received church assistance. He says they need to be over 60. And in 1 Timothy 5.10, it says, well reported for good works. If she's brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. We read of Anna, the widow who served day and night in the temple with prayers and fastings. So she was old, older. I mean, she was in her, Past 80, but she was still working. She was still serving the Lord. So that's good work. And that's what God's called us all to do. So we're not to be like parasites latched onto the host, but like a hand and a foot that's contributing to the good of the body, as God's called us to. And parents, I encourage you to train your children to value the opportunity to work, that work is not something to be avoided. But it's something to be embraced as a gift ordained by God that we can receive and contribute, help, and bless others. And uh, know that work is from the Lord. Work preceded the fall. Work is not because of the fall. God created us to work. And Jesus has called us unto good works. And thus it's not a chore to do what Jesus does in and through each one of us. Genesis 47:18. When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So all the land, so the land became Pharaoh's. There's a lot of failure happening in Egypt at this time, right? The the harvest failed, the bread failed, the money failed. Uh, They they traded their animals and all they had left of value was their land and themselves. And uh, they couldn't save themselves, so they just offered themselves. They said, please hire us, make us your servants. Uh, buy our land so that we can live in exchange for bread and for their lives. Like there's no point in keeping your property if you can't live to tend the property. The people's offer demonstrates what Satan observed in Job 2.4, that all a man has he will give for his life. Like when it comes down to it, if you want to survive, you're willing to give what it takes to do so. If you see it as a life and death issue, sometimes we don't see it that way. And so we we don't, uh, we're not that committed to do that. Um, Because most people, they value the here and now over eternity. But Jesus said, he asked the question in Matthew 16, 26, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I mean, imagine gaining everything that you want in life, but losing your life in the process. What good would it do you? Right To be the first trillionaire, but not live to spend a cent of it. You, you've achieved all this, but you could not use it. God's made every human being a living soul. So you don't just have a soul, you are a soul, having been created by him. And there's nothing you can do to redeem yourself or to save yourself, because the soul that sins will surely die. The Egyptians, they asked for Joseph to buy them, Jesus, he offered himself as a sacrifice for our souls so we could be redeemed for destruction. The Egyptians couldn't save themselves, and neither can we. But as the Egyptians needed to submit to sell their land and themselves as servants of Pharaoh, so everyone must choose if they will receive the offer of salvation that Jesus Christ offers when he gave himself for us on Calvary. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily and following him. Now, the Egyptians, they were paid with bread and given seed for sowing. Like all the silver and gold would have done them no good if they had no food. Now, we have not been bought with silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus. Now, when you tap your card, right? You go to make a purchase. You tap your card, uh, and you look for evidence that the payment has gone through. So I tap the card, put in my code. It spits out an invoice, And it says approved on it. I'm like, all right, the payment has gone through and they'll let me take the goods. If I tap it and it says rejected or not working, then they're not going to let me take the stuff. That's stealing, right? But as soon as it says approved, I can take the things and I'm good to go. Now we know that the spiritual payment has been approved by God because Jesus rose from the dead. So the fact Jesus rose from the dead, it shows that the payment was approved by God. Now we agree to receive him personally by faith and the Holy Spirit who fills us, comforts us, and helps us. That's the down payment that God gives uh, to us to say he will make good on giving us eternal salvation, to adopt us into his kingdom as his heirs. And the evidence that we're born again is that we obey God's word and we love one another. So there's evidence that that spiritual transaction has taken place because we love him and we keep his commandments. In 1 Peter 1:22 1, through 25, because I didn't just make that up, it's actually from the Bible. It says, "Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart." having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Seed that we sow in the ground, that is corruptible seed. If it gets damp, If it gets rotten or moldy, it's not going to grow. But God's word, it's incorruptible. And so it is good to be fruitful in our lives. It retains the power to save our souls, to guide our steps through this life. And like the grass, our bodies will die. But God's word, it is incorruptible. It lives forever. And so our purified souls, we're in Christ. That's your complete self will endure by his grace. So it's so good that we can have assurance of salvation. We can know that because of what Jesus has accomplished by his death and resurrection and by extending the gospel to us, that we can live not just an abundant life now, but forever in his presence. Okay, Genesis 47, 21. And as for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests that he did not buy. For the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their lands. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh, Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food and for those of your households and as food for your little ones. So they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. The people sold their land and their service into Pharaoh for bread, and then Joseph moved them all. So they were all moved out of their rural areas and into the cities where the food was kept. And this famine, it really impacted them. Like when we have a famine, it may cause some minor inconveniences for us. We can source food from all over the world in Australia. A lot of stuff is imported anyway. A lot of things we make ourselves. So we we kind of want to retain our freedoms and, And have life just continue as it has been. What we're comfortable with. But they were not able to do that. Because it was so severe in the land. They had to uproot their families. They had to move from their family homes. They had to leave their properties behind that had been sold to Pharaoh. And go into the cities where the food was. And they likely were involved in the distribution of that food. One to another. The feeding of their animals they had sold to Pharaoh. And they were all working together to survive. It's noted that Joseph did not buy the land of the priests. They received rations that were given to them. Having been bought by Pharaoh, they understood their obligation to obey and serve him, right? They're like, hey, you've saved our lives. We are your servants. Let us find favor in your sight. Pay 20%, no problem. We're fine to do that because if you didn't save us, we we couldn't do anything. They really are a good example for us believers who have been purchased with the blood of Jesus. One Corinthians 620 says, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we have been bought. We now serve him. We have been saved. And so we ought to also be those who say, well, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to serve you. That call to submission and obedience to God. And then Joseph explains his plans. As the famine drew to a close, he gave them seed to sow in their fields. So four-fifths or 80% of the harvest was theirs to keep, to sell it, to grind it into grain, to save it for another season for planting. But the one-fifth or 20% was Pharaoh's cut. They didn't resent it. They seemed quite fine with the agreement because, hey, he's given us seed, he's given us life, and it's not a problem for us to give him 20%. There was this gratitude and, and they say, let us find favor in the sight of my Lord and we will be servants. They showed their appreciation. Really, again, a good example of gratitude, appreciation of people in light of their salvation sought to please their master. They sought to find favor in his sight because he had been gracious to them by giving them life. And with us, having been bought by the precious blood of Christ, we ought to give ourselves as living sacrifices to him. That's it. That's our time. That's our resources. And there's this principle established throughout scripture to honor the Lord with a portion of our first fruits and our bests best. We read in Proverbs three, nine and 10 honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. It's the Lord who saves us. He's given us life. He's provided for our needs. He's given us the power to obtain wealth, and thus we're obligated to honor him with it. We give to God, not with the hope that he will multiply what we have, but because we're already blessed by him. He's already provided for all our needs. And this generous giving, we see it throughout the early church, And so, if there's a church or a ministry that has contributed spiritually to your well-being and your benefit, it follows that we should consider giving financially as led by the Holy Spirit. Genesis 47, 27. So, Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly, and Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So, the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. See how different things were in Goshen than in the rest of the land. Everyone was affected by the famine. I mean, Jacob and his family were only in Egypt because of the famine. But they weren't uprooted from their land. It wasn't their land. It was Pharaoh's land. And they were also given food from Joseph. Joseph gave them food. He gave them food as they needed it. And they didn't have to sell their flocks their herds or their possessions Let's say they lived in the land of Goshen they had possessions they were they they didn't sell themselves to become pharaoh's servants like the priests received that allotment of food Joseph he gave them everything they needed we read that when Jacob arrived in Egypt he was 130 years old and he lived in Egypt for 17 more years prospered by God's grace in Egypt, they thrived, they grew, they multiplied exceedingly because God was with them just like He promised them. In years of famine or plenty, the Hebrews prospered because God kept His word. And knowing that God is with us, that should give us more confidence than our possessions, our pay packets, or our reserves. Because I can look to my reserves and go, we're set. Someone might say, I'm set for life because of that that, uh, deal I've made or that thing I've acquired or this property I have. You know, I've got plenty in reserve. And the, the temptation is to look to the reserves rather than look to the Lord. Rising interest rates, they don't need to depress us. Market volatility, it doesn't need to put us in fear. And having to move or to sell things, it's not the end of the world. And even if the world should end... Well, we have the sure hope of a glorious future with the Lord forever that we can rejoice in. I mean, God's going to provide for your needs today. We can know this and we can have total confidence that he will supply our needs according to his mercy. So in Christ alone, we have more than what this world could ever offer or give you. Genesis forty-seven twenty-nine. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now, if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Israel, Jacob, he's nearing the end of his life. He calls Joseph to his bedside with a request. To put the hand under the thigh, that was to make a solemn binding oath. And he says, swear to me, you're not going to bury me in Egypt, but you're going to carry my body back to Canaan, to the cave of Machpelah that was purchased by Abraham in the land of Canaan. That's where I want to dwell. That's where I need my body to be permanently. It was the land of promise. It's where he believed he belonged because God had given him Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that land and to their descendants. He wanted to put down roots there and to send that message to his his, uh, children where God would have them be. Joseph agreed. Now I'm drawn to the parallel and thinking about an application for us today of the Egyptians and Israel. Notice how they both sought to find favor in the eyes of Joseph. Having been saved by Joseph, the people said, we want to find favor in your sight. They tried to do that by service. They're like, we want to find favor in your sight, so we're going to serve you. Now Israel, he said to his son, if I have found favor in your sight, please deal kindly and truly with me. The people sought Joseph to look favorably upon them, Because Joseph looked favorably upon his father, he wanted him to approve of his request. They were both in a subservient position to Joseph because of the place God had promoted him to. He had the authority of Pharaoh in the land of Egypt, right? And so even though the people were many and Joseph was a foreigner, even though Israel was older than his son and his dad, they both desired to have favor in the sight of Joseph because of his role. They adopted a humble posture before Joseph because he was above them by authority and power vested in him by Pharaoh. He was under no legal obligation to do what they said, right? He didn't have to save the people. He didn't have to bury his dad in Canaan, but because they found favor in his sight, he's like, I will do what you have said. You can't earn grace you can only receive grace. If someone talks about earning grace, well, you don't know what grace is because grace is unmerited. It's something you cannot earn. It's something you cannot deserve. And it's given not from the subject to the master, but the master to the subject because they don't have to. God has given grace to us. We don't give grace to him. Does, could he possibly deserve my grace? Like I could give that to him? No. No. He's the one who gives grace. So Joseph, he gives grace. Moses was somebody who found grace in God's eyes. Now, I think when it comes to things you're looking for, like I said, hey, Bono, what are you actually looking for? You, don't, you haven't found what you're looking for, but what are you looking for? And if I asked you that question, what are you looking for in this job, in this relationship, in this life? Is one of the things you're looking for to find grace in God's eyes? To find favor in the sight of God? Is that even on our list? It's not what most people are looking for. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus 33 verse 12. And notice what Moses prays here in speaking to God. We'll just read verses 12 and 13. Then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know you and that I might find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. Moses was not content to only have grace in God's sight, to be chosen, to be equipped to lead the people, or just to know that God knew him personally. But he says, I want to know your way, and I want to find grace in your sight. He desired grace upon grace. It's one thing, for Joseph to save the people, it was another thing to approve of their service. Israel, he was given land and food by finding favor in Joseph's sight. But it was grace that would allow him to be buried in the land of Canaan as he requested. These waves of grace are things that we receive from Jesus. Not just grace to be saved, but, and not grace just to be known, but grace to hear us, to have fellowship with us, to hear and to rejoice in our requests, to do what he's promised. We know we need grace because we're unable to save ourselves, but do we also want to find favor in his sight by doing what he has said, by trusting him? Turn to John chapter one, starting in verse 14, speaking of Jesus Jesus, the word who became flesh. John chapter one, verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me for he was before me and of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So God put on human flesh in the person of Jesus, full of grace and truth. The Jews received God's law out of grace. It was by his mercy. He let them know how they could please him and how they could live in the way to glorify him. And he, through Jesus, has extended grace to us, right? We have all received. It says, Of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. That literally means grace in the place of grace. So God has extended favor to us and grace in the place of grace. It's just like a wave upon wave upon wave of grace flowing over us again and again, not just to save us, not just to know us, but to redeem us, to help us, to guide us, to comfort us, to empower us, to trust him and do what he has said. We discover God's grace, not because we're diligent to seek him, but because we've been found by him and we're known by him. And having been saved by him, having received of his fullness by the Holy Spirit, we we obey him, we serve him, we seek his ways. We're like, Lord, I want to know your ways. I want to find favor in your sight by doing what pleases you. I'm not just content just to have your grace for salvation, but I want that grace upon grace that you've offered me. I want to walk in that grace. I want to give that grace to others. And you can know that it's God's will for all people to know him, to walk in his ways and to find grace in his sight. It wasn't just for Joseph or Moses, but for me and for you. Our final verse in Hebrews 4, 14, it says to believers who've received God's grace through the gospel, it says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help In time of need, God extends grace, his favor to save us, to forgive our sins, to grant eternal life. And since we have favor in his sight, since we've received that, we're to come boldly where to his throne room of grace to find what, to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Waves of grace, grace in the place of grace, Now, if I or you barged into the office of King Charles, his attendants, you probably wouldn't see him, I would expect. I would think there'd be some security in place. And the question they might ask is Who are you? (laughs) What are you doing here? They don't know who I am, right? But having found favor in God's sight, who knows our names, We can go before the almighty King of Kings into his throne room of grace because we've been invited there. He knows our names and he is waiting to extend grace upon grace to us by hearing our prayers and by responding to them. This is the King of Kings. This is the Lord of Lords who has us in his presence to find grace and mercy to help in time of need. He's already demonstrated his love for us. And if you're looking for grace, it's found in him. Because if you say, I still haven't found grace, I still haven't, I'm looking, still haven't found what I'm looking for. Well, then you're not looking to the Lord because he gives grace upon grace to everyone who seeks him. And so I encourage you to rejoice in that, rejoice in your savior who looks upon us favorably, that we have found favor in his sight and that we can find grace to help in time of need. Let's praise him. Thank you, Father, for giving us grace, for for looking upon us kindly and compassionately by being patient with us, by knowing that apart from you, we are dead, dead in trespasses and sins and headed to hell and destruction forever. And you have redeemed us by your grace and you have given us the gospel of grace and you have sent Jesus, our savior, to redeem us, from the curse to give us abundant and eternal life. Thank you, Lord, that you have extended such favor to us that we don't deserve. And I pray we would be those who seek to find favor in your sight by doing what pleases you, by trusting you, by boldly coming into your throne room of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need, that we would be those who rely upon you, who do not lean on their own understanding, but in all their ways acknowledge you. So you might direct our paths Thank you, Lord, that you can sympathize with our weaknesses. You know what it's like to lack. Jesus came uh, in poverty, and yet he extends eternal riches of the kingdom of God to all who trust in him. Thank you, Lord, for knowing us by name, for giving us um, guidance to know your ways And I pray we would seek to find favor in your sight, that there would no longer be in our lives a famine of hearing the word of the Lord, but we would hear you, we would seek you, and live, live that abundant life that you've promised to all your people. And so, Lord, we rejoice in you today. We thank you that there's hope for us. We thank you that there's help for us in Jesus. And I pray that through us, your light would shine, that people would come to the knowledge of Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you would, through us, Lord, work your wonders to show your glory through these vessels of clay, that you would be honored, that you would be magnified. In Jesus' name, amen.